Hey guys, I'm excited about today's episode, but before we introduce today's special guest, I want to tell you about some of the folks that help make this podcast possible. Our friends over at Sovereign Financial, Mike Cuckle and Will Hines are incredibly gifted at taking care of you and your investments. They both are good friends and I trust them with my family's future. They not only focus on your ROI, but they also do in-depth research and investigation so you can rest assured that you are investing in like-minded companies. They call it Biblically Responsible Investing. You can reach out to them at SovereignFIN.com. Again, that's SovereignFIN.com to make an appointment. And if you tell them you heard about this on the podcast, they will give you a free portfolio review and consultation. Also, our friends over at Guestin Brady Attorneys at Law. They provide highly educated legal assistance with personal injury cases and real estate closings. Thousands of clients have entrusted the caring professionals at Guestin Brady. Their family-oriented team will make you feel at home as you work together to navigate life's transitions and decisions. Guest and Brady attorneys are extremely knowledgeable in the field of personal injury, from car and motorcycle accidents to brain injuries, slip and fall, tractor-trailer accidents, workman's comp, and much more. You can also trust the experienced team at Guest and Brady to handle your real estate transactions and help make the closing process as smooth and efficient as possible. I can personally attest to that as my wife and I just refinanced our home recently and we closed with Guest and Brady. You can trust their dedicated staff in any of their four offices in Greenville, Spartanburg, Easley, and Traveler's Rest. You can find out more about all of the services they offer on their website at guestbrady.com. Again, that's guestbrady.com. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about our upcoming 4DFN. That stands for Four Days for the Nations. It's four days to celebrate the God stories of what we have seen Him do in and through this ministry. But it's also four days to help raise the needed support for the ministry. We have had some gracious investors pool together their resources to offer up a $30,000 matching challenge to match anything given between May 10th and May 13th. I don't know about you, but I always want to know that my investments, my time, my money, my skills mean something and they will produce a return. The return is a life change that we have seen all over the world and anything given these four days will be doubled. So if you'd like to be a part of what God is doing through Impact Sports by partnering with us financially, especially this week, go ahead and mark your calendars for 4DFN 2022, May 10th through the 13th. Welcome to the I Say All That to Say This podcast, an outreach of Impact Sports International. We seek to use sports as a vehicle to take the gospel to the hard to reach, the lost, and the forgotten, whether that is just 10 minutes down the road or on the other side of the world. Here's your host, John Andrews. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. I'm your host, John Andrews. As many of you listeners know, I was reading through Psalms and Proverbs earlier this year. When I ran across Psalm 33, verses 2 and 3, David says this, Praise the Lord with the melodies on the lyre. And let me just stop here by saying, in the previous podcast episodes that we've done, I have read this, Praise the Lord with the melodies on the lyre. And my loving, dear wife, who teaches the Bible, but also was an English teacher, and is also a published author herself. She corrected me over the weekend, and so let me say this correctly here. Psalm 33, 2 and 3 says this, Praise the Lord with the melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-string harp. Sing a new song of praise. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. Now, most of you listening don't play the harp, and you probably don't even know what a lyre is, and you didn't know that I was pronouncing it incorrectly all this time. But I don't think that's the point David's making here. I think what David was really saying here is that we all have an instrument to play. But it's up to us to play our instrument skillfully. Now, I I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but God did give me an instrument to play for his glory. And he's given you one, too. It might actually be music. It could be sports. It could be business. It could be teaching or speaking. But what David was saying is whatever your instrument is, play it skillfully. And there's only one way to develop skill, and that's through hard work and repetition. 
So during this series, we've been talking to people with all kinds of instruments and how they are honing their craft so they can play it skillfully for God's honor and glory. That brings me to our guest today, but I want to be transparent with you guys first. I know that you're not supposed to covet. I think that's in the top 10 somewhere, but I covet, and I just need to be clear with you guys. With, this is episode 35 of our podcast, and so I've become much more attentive to people's voices and the way people articulate things and the way things sound and when people say things correctly and incorrectly, but I'm just going to be straight up and honest right here. I covet our guest voice. Nate Bramson was born on the mission field. He served overseas himself. He's written several books and Bible studies and currently serves as the executive director of Rock International. But perhaps most importantly, he's the husband of four and a half years to Priyanka and a father to Haven and Sage, and they're three and a half and five months. So Nate has his hands full. He's always traveling. But Nate, I want to thank you for being here. Man, it's such a joy to be here with you. Thank you for being a part of I Say All That to Say This, and that is a phrase that you are welcome to take with you um, as you go and as you speak. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) It was was organic for sure for me. Um, I have been accused many times over of sharing way too many details, and I have to circle back around to my main point, and so I end up having to say But you know those detours sometimes have nuggets of gold. Dang, I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. Uh, I, I want to briefly share how we got connected a couple of weeks ago. Um, our mutual friend, Greg Hines, who works for South Carolina Christian Foundation, um, which you guys want to check them out, South Carolina Christian Foundation, if you're in South Carolina, they do a fantastic job of connecting those that want to support ministries with ministries that they, they sure could do. support. And Greg is a perfect, uh, perfect person for that job because he is naturally gifted at connecting and network, and he just wants to bring people together. And so uh, he sent me a text six or eight weeks ago and said, hey, I've got a friend who is going to South Asia and uh, here pretty soon, and he wants to use basketball as, a, as an outreach. I think you guys sh- should meet. And I responded, yeah, I do think we should meet. <laughs> and uh, so we, 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 I, I got to the restaurant, and uh, and I don't know if I've told you this, but I got to the restaurant, and Greg was nowhere to be found. Right. I was a little bit early. And so I thought, well, I'll just run to the restroom and be back in the lobby before everybody else gets here. And as I rounded the corner, you came around, and I had yet to see a picture of you. And I don't know if you did or if it just was the no, logo no. on my shirt, but you're like, hey, you're John, aren't you? And I said, yes, who are you, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and didn't realize that. Uh, so I actually met you without Greg being there. And then there were a couple of other people involved. in I that think lesson. I just assumed I was like, "Here's this guy just sitting there by himself, and uh, yeah, needing a friend." Yeah, yeah. So, so if if nothing else, I'm I'm lonely and needy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I I found out that wasn't the case. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, Greg put us together, and I just sat there in awe as you began to talk about all of the different overlapping circles that we had and all the same Amazing. people we knew and the, mm. um, our heart. And so as uh, probably halfway through the conversation, I knew I needed you on the podcast. Uh, but at the same time, I ended up, you ended up coming to our church and sharing something I didn't even know was part of your ministry. Mm. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, we, know, um, we know some of the same people, your family, we've served with overseas. Um, and didn't even know that, that that you guys were connected. Amazing, though. And yeah, yeah, and and um, this this was uh, probably the funniest or or most outrageous to me is um, a couple episodes ago we had a guest on called uh, his name was Ed Bias, and some of you listeners will remember he was he's one of the directors for Tactical Evangelism. And as I got to know Ed, and he uh, he and Greg Walker, his co-director, um, asked me to come be a part of their training. Um, I was there with them. I'd heard Ed mention this, and then I heard Greg mention it, and then there were several missionaries in the room who also talked about, man, have you seen this book? And it was a book called What If Jesus Meant What He Said? And uh, I no, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. I, I don't know who Nate Bramson is. Um, but then they said, oh, we were going through this in our small group, and Ed was saying how much it had challenged him, and even got to the point, and we mentioned this at the end of his podcast, uh, about Project 33, and how he was running 33 miles to raise money um, 
uh, for the ministry, and he had gotten the idea from you, and we'll get there in a second too, but um, I didn't realize until we were halfway through lunch that you were that guy that he was talking about, and you were the guy that had written the book that they were telling me to read. And so uh, we, we had a chance to, uh, to exchange books. It's the first time I've done that. Uh, but we, uh, I knew that, that I wanted you here. And so thank you, uh, for making time to be here. And it's my privilege. Um, I, I want you to, I want to dive right in, but I, sure. you have a unique backstory, right? And so you didn't just grow up down the street and watch cartoons when you grew up and that kind of stuff. So tell us, tell us kind of your backstory. Sure. So I was born in Senegal, West Africa in 1984 and grew up there for the first 16 years of my life. My parents were focused in church planting and media ministries. And so uh, coming to the United States was coming to a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And we came back to visit relatives and um, various other reasons. But uh, primarily, I grew up on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Hmm. So very different, yeah, cultural background. So the southern heat has nothing on you? Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> I, I had a basketball half court in my backyard in Senegal and a thermostat that only went up to 120, and uh, it usually was just hanging out at the top. And wow. so now, obviously, the official temperature maybe was like 110, 115, but yeah. the, the court radiated enough heat to make it go over the 120 mark. But it was a dry heat, right? They always say that, you know? <laughs> I'm like, at some point, dry or wet, yeah, <laughs> it's humid, still hot. it doesn't make much yeah. difference. I, I, I don't know if this was the way in Senegal. We've, we've served in Ghana uh, several different times in similar climate, right on the, uh, the southern edge of the, the desert. And uh, it, there was something that happened the first trip that I just totally was not expecting. And, the, the, um, you know, we've been places, especially in Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, in the summertime, and it's just, it's so humid. You're you know? drenched all yeah, the time. Yeah, and, and it's almost like uh, someone asked the difference between um, uh, one place we've been and another place, and the heat, they're both really hot. I said, well, uh, okay, in Southeast Asia, uh, we boil. In Africa, we bake, you know, and there's just not the moisture. That's a great way to put it. Um, but the, the missionary kept saying, drink, 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 drink. Well, if, we're, if I'm constantly sweating. You think about it. I, I know that I need right. to drink. But it was so dry that, that the sweat evaporated as soon as it came out of our pores. And so I never felt sweaty. And exactly. so it was, it, we had a couple guys struggle because they weren't it's drinking real. It's, it's real. Dehydration, man. And so you grew up in that. I did. And I love it to this day. In fact, a funny story. We moved back to the States. And at 17, I was going to speak at some youth group. And, you know, I, I'm still a teenager. I'm still in high school. I don't right. know these things. And I'm staying in the home of, of a family in Lincolnton, Georgia, and they make the statement, you know, you can control the thermostat. Well, I grew up without any air conditioning. <laughs> I've, never, I've never touched a thermostat, like literally 17, haven't touched a thermostat. And so I'm like, okay, well, what would they put it at? And I want to be kind to them. It was November, and it was maybe, you know, like 45 outside. So I said, well, I'll put the thermostat at 90 because I think that's like kind of in between. They probably want it like 80, and I want it at 100. <laughs> and so, no joke, I put it there, and I go to bed. Well, the next morning, let's just say my hosts were not as happy with me. <laughs> but that's okay. We're still friends today. They just don't let me touch the thermostat. Absolutely. You wake up drenched in sweat. Yeah. Uh, they can't touch the thermostat anymore. <laughs> All right, so you were in Senegal from birth till? So birth till 16, almost 16. And my parents actually came back to the United States because, uh, well, my sister was graduating, but primarily um, I had uh, a passion to play basketball at that point in my life. And um, they wanted to give me the opportunity to play before scouts and, um, and, and yeah, be on a, a high school team where um, not only I'd be seen, but I'd get the, the training mm-hmm. um, both on and off the court that I needed to play at the next level. Um, but then again, I didn't realize that God was about to turn my life upside down. Yeah. So you you had dreams of playing in college, and you were taking every step possible to get to that point. There For are a sure. lot of lot of people exactly where you just, just described. Yes. But then you said God turned your life upside down. He did. Explain that. He did. So um, everything was going perfectly. I, I come from a family that's not very tall, too. My dad's 5'8", everyone else is shorter. So I prayed for height, and I thought, man, God's in this. He gave me, I'm over six feet. So you see me in my family, <laughs> and you'll, you'll definitely think that one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Um, but that being said, um, everything was going smoothly, and, and I don't say this in any arrogant way. And by the time I was 13, 14, um, I almost never played one-on-one. I was one-on-three um, in my neighborhood, sometimes one-on-four, just because I wanted to 
uh, yeah, put up a challenge and a 60% NBA range, three point shooter in games and 90% free throw. Shoot. I, I was just doing everything I could outside of playing in league environment. Right. And so I came back with, you know, thinking, okay, uh, this is going to go somewhere. And that first summer I started training and I, I quickly, uh, I, I insisted I need to be point guard or shooting guard, even though I was on a high school with somewhat shorter players. Mm-hmm. Um, because I said, this is not about just high school. This is about right. long term. Right. Well, everything was going smoothly, and then we went out to California, and we went to see my grandmother briefly. And while I was out there, you have to understand, I came to Christ at a young age, and I wanted to live for the Lord, but here's the difference. Um, I wanted God to be part of my life, Mm. and Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. Mm. And I say that to young people all the time. Jesus does not want to be part of your life. He wants all of it. Mm. And I was including him in my life, but... Uh, Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. And, and what uh, I went out there, and one day I opened up my Bible, again, just not expecting for life to be changed, just kind of expecting to have a morning quiet time. Right. And I read Hebrews 12.1. And if you're in sports and in the Bible, you know that verse, because it, it relates directly to athletics where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares or entangles mm-hmm. us, and let us run with endurance the race that before us. And of course, it goes on to talk about looking unto Jesus. But in that verse, it was one phrase that just gripped me that day. And it's when it says, run the race, but it says, lay aside every weight and the sin. And mm. I realized in my life, basketball was not a sin, but it was a weight because basketball had become my idol mm. and basketball was before the Lord. I was playing basketball and I was adding Jesus to it, mm. not surrendering my life to Christ and seeing what he was going to put in it. And, and I realized he could give me back basketball, but the first thing was I needed to surrender basketball. And I came into my parents' room. Remember, they just moved across the world for this. And I come into my parents' room um, at my grandmother's house, and I said, you're not going to—I've got tears coming down my face. You know, I'm a 16-year-old. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I've got I've to quit basketball. Mm. And they said, can we pray about it? And I said, <laughs> well, we can pray, but it's not going to do any good yeah. um, because the Lord's already made it really clear. Mm. And so they said, that's fine, but it's your choice. You've got to call your coach, your teammates. Um, this, is, it, it's, this is you deciding. And it was at that moment my life changed. And it's not that, again, I still love the game of basketball, but when that was put into a different place in my life, it freed up my heart mm. to be filled with the passion that God wanted to put in me. And, uh, and that's where I am today. Mm. Uh, we're going to get into your writings and stuff in a few minutes, but y- you wrote a book that I've been reading uh, called What If Jesus Meant What He Said. And in that, you, you're talking about you giving up basketball. Right. And there are so many people that are listening that we have access to uh, through our ministry that are sports-minded. It may not be basketball, but they're sports-minded. Absolutely. And this is what you said. Basketball wasn't a sin, but in my life, it was a weight which was dragging me toward a selfish existence consumed by self-satisfying and self-exalting feats and dreams. There's nothing wrong with striving to be excellent. In fact, Not at all. God calls us to be excellent. Amen. And do everything as, as, as if we're doing it for him. That could be cooking. It could be teaching. It could be playing ball. So with somebody who hears what you're saying right now, and maybe they're striving for the exact same thing. They want to go to the next level, whatever the next level is, wherever they are. What do you say to them? How do you keep that balance? Because for you, it was, I got to quit cold turkey. Maybe they don't, maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they don't want to give it up. Um, Maybe they're not supposed to give it up. But they're wrestling with that balance between it becoming a God and becoming maybe something that God uses. What would you say to them uh, in that? That's a fabulous question. Um, Really, one of the first questions um, I I ask, because, again, if it's basketball, then it's a non-issue. But um, you first need to just ask, am I compromising the Word of God in any way? Um, with what I'm pursuing and what compromise, what does that look like? I mean, it could be, it could be holiness in some way of life. It could be um, compromising what you know God has called you to do and you're not able to do it because of a separate passion. So are you compromising God's word in any way in order to do that thing? The second thing I would definitely say is who's getting the glory? 
God does not share his glory with anyone, and he makes that clear. So if you're living to your own glory, or even the glory of someone or something else, then you can just know it's not for God's glory. Hmm. And so I asked myself, and believe me, (laughs) getting rid of basketball in my life did not cure uh, a proud and uh, self-seeking heart, or even Hmm. a heart that seeks things that are not God. And so this is a constant daily thing I have to confront, um, and it can happen in ministry, which is much more subtle. Absolutely. Much more. And in fact, uh, at times I think it happens even more so in things that are um, painted with the colors of God, if I can mm. say it like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's a, that's a huge thing. It's just asking who's getting the glory from this. And it does not necessarily mean you have to get rid of the sport or the cooking or the teaching or whatever, but maybe go back to the, the drawing board and say, Lord, what does this look like in order that some way um, this would bring you great glory and I can take the back seat? Mm. Um, and because I agree, whatever God has given you, that leer, as we yeah. say, um, or liar, as I say, <laughs> <laughs> some of us are liars as we're using our leers, <laughs> but uh, but no, th- 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 that's that's a constant uh, litmus test I put before me, and it, it wasn't just at 16, it's now mm. at 37. Wow. Well, wow, that's that's um, uh, that's more appropriate than just the athletes who might be listening. Um, For sure, um, that, that's that's powerful. So, y- you gave up basketball, mm-hmm. and that was a personal decision. Something you felt God was leading you to. In fact, your parents, godly people, they said, uh, "Maybe we need to pray about this because exactly. we just moved halfway across the world for this." Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure? You know, and so. Talk about your call to ministry from that point forward. So that it was, it was so uh, black and white. Um, just ju- uh, I literally stepped out of basketball, and it was as though the Lord opened my eyes, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean by this. All of a sudden, I started to see things that were not, and I'll explain. Hmm. Back in Senegal, when I would step out of my house, almost every day of my life, I would see boys. They're called talibes, which uh, comes from the Arabic word talib, which is student. But they were given to religious leaders at two, three, four years mm. old, and they're forced to beg all the way till they get to 18, 19, then they learn a trade. So every day of my life, when I stepped out of my house, I would see boys sleeping on the streets. And they have their little tomato paste cans where they are begging for sugar cubes and rice and leftovers and maybe coins. Mm. And, you know, I grew up, and I say this, I say this with, with truly shame. I grew up thinking of them and other um, other forms of need in society as annoyances. Mm. And again, remember, I, I loved, in quotations, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But I saw the issues around me as disturbances to my plans and my way of life. And when basketball was laid aside, and again, for me, it's just because of the idolatry I had in it, the Lord opened my eyes to here I was walking out of my house in Greenville, South Carolina, and guess what? I, I didn't see anybody sleeping on the street in front of me. Mm. I, I didn't see the things that I had grown so accustomed to seeing that it no longer touched my heart. And it was like the Lord put before me at 16 just this gentle invitation. I can't explain it any other way. Nathan, you can turn your back on everything you've seen and experienced up to this point and live the life you want to live. or you can surrender your life to me, and I'm going to use you to touch hurting lives for the sake of the gospel. Mm. And he put four passions into my life at that point, and, and these four passions have not changed in the last 21 years. Yes, they've changed the forms of how they play out, but the passions haven't changed. The first was to know him, just to know the Lord. And by the way, if, you, if you're listening today and you say, yeah, I want to know God, don't think God's going to zap you with the knowledge of him. If you mm. want to know him as your comforter, Expect some really turbulent times where he's going to comfort you. If you want to know him as your healer, expect some serious illness in your life or the life of someone close to you. Mm. And then he touches as a healer. And that healing is not always an earthly healing. Sometimes it's an eternal one. Uh, I could go on, right? (laughs) But get this. If you want to know him as the resurrection and the life, you got to die. And that's the first thing. I just want to know him. I want to know him. The second thing was a passion for kids, kids who are the victims of abuse, danger, neglect, disaster, and, uh, and that's where Rock International years later was born. But um, that the third thing 
is why what if Jesus meant what he said was written? I want to see this generation be unconditional followers of Jesus Christ. If Jesus meant what he said, and side note, he did. (laughs) If Jesus meant what he said, then no sacrifice is too great to make for him. He's worth it all. Mm. And the fourth thing and the final thing um, was a passion for the unreached of the world. Mm -hmm. The fact that (laughs) billions have not heard the gospel and that I can live in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, where I just got a Yellow Pages delivered. They make those still. They make Yellow Pages. I know. I didn't either. So before I threw it away, (laughs) I counted how many churches were within 30 to 45 minutes of my house in the— and by the way, the one I go to wasn't even listed, so I don't know how many. But I counted mm. 475 evangelical churches within 30 to 45 minutes of my house mm. in Taylor's, officially, South Carolina. And I thought, wow, I can literally move to areas of the world, just like pockets, with over a million people where there is not one known evangelical church. And by the way, evangelical, I mean, I'm talking Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, Methodist, um, Brethren, whatever you want to mm-hmm. throw out there, not one that mm. is known of. How is that okay when our Savior said, go into all mm. the world? Are we doing holy huddles, or are we actually willing to be obedient mm. to the Word of God? So those are the four passions, and the last 21 years haven't changed the passion, but they certainly have opened up doors to walk forward in, um, in the demonstration of them. Well, uh, just to supplement what you just said, uh, I had a chance to speak at a church yesterday. And um, I, I had accumulated some stats. Um, and if you want to go back and check these out, they're on the travelingteam.org Great or, website. or joshuaproject.net. Uh, and you talked about the number of churches here in, an, in a certain area and the number of churches that aren't <laughs> in certain areas. <laughs> right. Um, it, these were a couple stats. 96% of the world's unreached live in the 1040 window. We've talked that's about right. that before, but that's mm. the area from... from uh, West Africa to East Asia exactly. from the tenth tenth uh, parallel north to the fortieth parallel north, and and ninety six percent of the world's unreached that have little or no access to the gospel live in that ten forty window. Exactly. But this was astounding. The church, the Big C Church. Yes. Not the yes. church where I was no, speaking. No, no. The right. Big C Church sends one point seven percent of their missions giving to the ten forty window. So less than 2% of what the church brings in for missions goes to where it's needed it, the isn't most. Isn't that wild? And 97% of all missionaries go to reached areas. And, mm. and, and please, I don't want to come across as like, I, 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 I can say I promise you it doesn't mean anything because you don't know me, but it is true. Yeah. And the Lord does hear me right now. I am so thankful for every pastor that's called to a place that's already inundated with the gospel. Yes. I, I'm so thankful for every, uh, whatever you want to say, every mother that is investing heavily into their children and making disciples, you're being obedient in your calling. But I do want to suggest Mm -hmm. that there are many more followers of Christ who have been called to the unreached, Mm. but excuses, grandparents, something has gotten in the way. Mm -hmm. And I just want to challenge you, if you are that person and you're hearing this today, Maybe this is God's gentle reminder to you to say his word hasn't changed, mm. and he still says go. And, and one side thing, if you do all the statistics from like the traveling team, for instance, um, I did the math. In the average Christian, evangelical Christian in the United States, one out of $100,000 you make will end up as an investment to the unreached. One out of every $100,000. Wow. So you, you're probably more likely to get struck by lightning. And, it's, and to that point, it's easier. Uh, sometimes we use, and dollars are absolutely necessary. You, are, you yeah. and I are both in a situation where we, we're dependent upon the support and generosity. It's just of a barometer, though. Yeah. It's, I mean, because again, yeah, like you say, it, it, money, I'll tell you, honestly, it, this is the fun part about ministry. Corey Tenboom said this, I'd rather be the child of a loving father than a beggar at the doorstep of worldly men. Hmm. Man, I got a loving father. My, my father in heaven provides for everything, and mm-hmm. if it's of him, he'll provide. If it's not of him, I don't want to do it. So I don't worry about that. But here's the thing. Like, we have an opportunity. When I say invest, please just make money the back thing. Yeah. We have a chance to invest our resources, and so that's our talents, um, just like we talked about our leaders. We can invest our time. We can invest our relationships into eternity. Or 
we can lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Mm. And so, again, this is not about, hey, be part of this. It's no, use your life for what matters. Don't give to my ministry. Please don't give. Since I'm the one giving this message, don't give to it. Don't associate this at all with, but associate with your life, your calling, what God has uh, equipped you and made you to do. Don't waste your life. Mm. What I was what I was about to say is that sometimes we use the gift of dollars because when we think of support or we think of investing, we automatically think dollars. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we use the giving of our dollars as an excuse to not give anything else. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and that's so and and so the stat here was you you just gave one dollar out of one hundred thousand dollars that I have goes to the unreached. I wonder how much less the percentage is of how many lives are given to reach the unreached. Man, I, I think about that with my time. So think about, you hear tithing from many pulpits. It's like, all right, that's fine. And, and the 10%, that's okay. That's Old Testament. You should give way more than that. Yeah. Um, but think about tithing your time. Try giving 10% of your day to undistracted uh, time with the Lord or undistracted investment into eternal things. Now, again, he, he's not part of your day. He's your life. Right. But just do that math. Two mm-hmm. hours and 40 minutes, I believe it is. Uh, that's just tithing 10% of your day. So mm-hmm. again, I, your, your point is well made. Wow. I've never heard anybody say that. Tithing your time, like specifically giving 10% of your day uh, to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said two hours and 40 minutes, but that's the entire day. If you know right. that we could even argue that's before taxes and after taxes, right? <laughs> but yeah, if right. you just gave ten percent of the time that you were awake, man, man. Anyway, that's that's powerful. Um, where all that you can tell us? Where all in the world have you been, and where have you served? Well, I've served in North Africa in two different countries. This is post Senegal. I grew up in Senegal. Um, so, but. A lot of uh, the ministry that I've been called to is um, both resourcing and teaching God's Word. So that I've done in over 90 countries around the world. So Mm. every continent many times over except for that one called Antarctica. Yeah. Which the penguins still haven't gotten the gospel from me. (laughs) They are definitely unreached. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that's 90 countries that you physically set foot in? Uh, yes, and I, I really only go places that, um, that we're doing ministry in. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the occasional time where I'm next to a place, and we stop over for a couple days to whatever, um, right. see something, but um, that's pretty rare. And many, there's quite a few countries we've been to over 30 times, so it's mm-hmm. not that we're just traveling to go somewhere new. We typically go back to places that we've been because right. relationships are built and discipleship sure. is happening. Absolutely. And you say we— to what we are you referring? So the we has changed over life, okay? Sure. Um, uh, discipleship is a huge part of, of life, and obviously discipleship happens where you're living, but I also, before I was married, um, I would take young men with me, um, usually in between two to ten guys at a time, and they would just do life on life. And so uh, be part of ministry, part of everyday life, and just getting to pour into them from the word, the way, the work. Um, just, uh, these, yeah, just, uh, able to really invest, um, fully. And, and let me just say as well that I was discipled by them because it's certainly not a one-way street. Um, and that's a conversation in itself, discipleship. But the we now involves two very little girls and my hmm. wife. Um, so we travel everywhere together. In fact, uh, I, I turn down speaking engagements when my whole family can't come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's everybody's, um, Everybody should do that. They should. They should just do what the Lord calls you to do. But right. uh, we are called to serve as a family, and even later this year, we're moving to South Asia, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But, um, but obviously, that's as a family too. You gloss over this, but as soon as you said it, resonated because I've I've read it in your book. The word, the way, and the work. Yes. Describe that real quick. Sure. So when I think about discipleship, um, sometimes we refer to you know taking a guy to IHOP on Saturday morning and saying the Bible as as discipleship. And I would say that's great in mm-hmm. the sense that you know you're you're spending time together and you're you're in the Word of God. But that's more of a Bible study. Discipleship, when you look at it in Scripture and you look at the model the Lord Jesus used, um, discipleship is by the, by the way very invasive. It's very intrusive. It's never going to be convenient. It's inconvenient. And so, with that in mind, I see three things that are really um, uh, indisputable aspects of discipleship. The first is the Word that 
Uh, we need to be in the Word of God because the point of discipleship is not to make somebody that looks like you, but someone that looks like Christ. And uh, I'll come back to that in a minute because some of you might be thinking, well, I don't look like Christ myself, so what am I doing? Um, hang on, I got good news for you in about 45 seconds. Uh, the second thing is the the work. When I say the work, I'm not talking about your 8 to 5, 9 to 5 job. I'm talking about the work of the Lord intentionally to see the gospel move forward together. So you've been in the Word together, but this is intentionally to see the gospel move forward. That might be as simple as um, having people over to your house, hospitality, your neighbors that don't know the Lord or maybe do and need to be encouraged in the Lord, but have that young person, in my case, a young man, come and, and sit at your table too and be able to intentionally be part of those conversations. So the work doesn't have to be some kind of Billy Graham crusade. It can be as simple as a bowl of chili and cornbread mm. and enjoying a meal together. And the third thing is the way. This is so important. It cannot be taken out of discipleship, and that is everyday life. You see this in Christ's life. I mean, everything from, oh, we got to pay taxes. Let's find a fish. Oh, we're walking through <laughs> grain fields on the Sabbath. Um, eat some grain. I'll, I'll handle the Pharisees over on the side. Mm -hmm. um, it's just everyday life. And in everyday life, situations come out like, for instance, heat, and people want to complain, right, mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier. Well, those are great opportunities. And back to my, my point I said I would make, you might think, man, I'm not equipped. Let me tell you how equipped you are. Two of the most important words you'll ever use in discipleship is, I'm sorry. And the reason for that is, I'm sorry, that didn't look like Christ. But it's in our brokenness and humility mm. that, speaking of these young guys, that they see Christ in me. Because I'm going to fail so often, but am I willing to be the example? When I say example, I mean sometimes the example as in, I didn't do that in a way that reflected Christ, my attitude when that person cut in front of me, I made a smart aleck comment, like whatever the case is. But that only happens when you have life on life. You know, when you just do that Saturday morning Bible study, I can behave really well for an hour over pancakes. Mm. But do they see the moments when my three-year-old is constantly disobeying? And am I being loving and patient? Are they seeing how I'm parenting? Do they see how I love my wife? Not when it's convenient, but when we're exhausted mm -hmm. and maybe something short was said to me, how am I responding? That's what they need to see. Mm. So that's, that's what good. I refer to as discipleship. The two most important words in discipleship, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's powerful. That could also be said the two most important words, which discipleship is building a relationship with somebody, mm. but the two most important words in relationship mm. can be I'm sorry as well. That's powerful. Yeah. All right, so give us um, give us a picture of what you're the executive director of what of Rock International. That's right. Give us a picture of what Rock International is and what you guys do. Yeah, so Rock International was actually born in the Middle East, um, North Africa, um, back in 2006, and it wasn't because um, the world needed another nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. It was um, working with street children, and we recognized we needed an official platform through which to access them and work with the local churches in the area. And so Rock International was started standing for Relief, Opportunity, and Care for Kids. Hmm. Um, and you can find out more at rockintl.org. And I'm not giving you that because I, I think you need to go to the website, but I'm just going to be very brief here. Later on, a second side was added to Rock, which is uh, resources of crucial knowledge. And that's the media resources that um, we developed to um, access mostly unreached areas of the world. So going back to the kids... Um, it started working with street kids, but then we started to realize that there were other places, um, other workers that needed a tool to access these kids in need and to whether it's starting up a school. So we've got a few schools in um, different parts of Africa, whether it's a, um, a printing press for children's resources, whether it's an art center, whether it's a recording studio and a music school, which we have in a North African country, whether it's just athletic programs, um, after school athletic programs. So the, it takes on different forms. In some places, it's agricultural projects involving kids. But the point is that Rock International became just a tool in a toolbox. And here is a key part about it. We don't want to build the organization. We want to see the church grow. Mm. And so as soon as a local church can take the reins, and we don't need, let's say, a, a government platform, then we take our name off of everything and let the local church run with it. We basically just stay as long as the tool is needed, mm. um, but yeah, we're certainly not looking to grow in projects. We just want to um, disciple lives, touch lives, and then be able to pass the baton. Yeah. Hmm. Your your uh, your website said that you seek to bridge the gap between hardship and hope right. in the lives of children. This is our mission statement uh, on the children's side of things. So imagine every kid, wherever they're born, whether they're born in Senegal, West Africa whether they're born in Cambodia, whether they're born in Greenville, South Carolina, 
there is a child's reality and their reality might be bleak at times it might be what the world says great but god created that child in his image and for an eternal purpose and so our desire and our prayer is that we can build the bridge using athletics academics the arts agriculture whatever it might be we can build the bridge between a child's reality and their god-given potential and obviously we don't do that alone we work with the local community and the sure. local church in order to see that happen. Mm. That's awesome. And so what you've been doing, um, boots on the ground, uh, hands in the mess, uh, has led to some of your writing and, and the realization of the truths that, that you find there. And so I, I want you to talk about, uh, and, and because I'm reading through what if Jesus really meant what he said, We'll save that for last. But you've written another book called Prosper, and then you've you've been developing some children's resources and even multi-language children's resources. So talk about that for a minute. Sure, sure. Uh, first of all, uh, I'll say something about the children's resources. Those really are um, written primarily by my father, and there's hmm. a full film that's um, out called King of Glory. Fabulous resources in over 40 languages. We've got a few more that are in the works. Every translation is done to the meticulous degree where you know you're getting what's in English uh, because we work very closely with teams around the world. Transworld Radio is one of our closest partners. So that's all available for free. If you go to our website, we're not selling anything to you. You can download everything for free. You can download my books for free there too on PDF form, mm. um, no problem, at any time. And we certainly want to work with you in, in the ministry God's called you to. Um, but yeah, millions and millions see this uh, King of Glory in different languages. Um, I, I don't want to say monthly, but let's say every couple months. Um, and, and these are designed for kids, it, right? It's designed, honestly, it's designed for anybody that doesn't know the gospel, but it's perfect for kids. And it's cartoon? So it, it's uh, So it's a version of car. It's a type of cartoon, but it's a cartoon using some um, animation and some stills gotcha. played on top of each other. It's really creatively done. Hmm. It's phenomenal. Um, but anyway, you can check all that out on YouTube or, or you can just go to the website and it, it all plays there too. So that's the, the resources side. We also have radio broadcasts that are broadcasted into, I, I don't even know right now. I know the, it was being done into over a hundred languages, but I think it's actually only being broadcasted maybe in, you know, 20 to 40 languages right now, but in closed countries, countries around the world that are very close off to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And yet through the airways we get in. So that's one side. Now, my personal side of writing, my passion is discipleship. And so most of the resources that I'm working on developing or have developed are based on that. You mentioned Prosper, and, and any listener hearing Prosper probably is thinking immediately, like, Prosper, this yeah. has to do with money. Well, it doesn't. I was blessed with cancer a few years ago, and it was 10 days after we found out we were having our first baby. And, will you, will you uh, repeat that again? Because I, I haven't heard very many people say that before. Yeah, I was blessed with cancer. Okay. It was truly one of the greatest blessings of my life in the last few years. I'd just gotten married um, eight months before. We've, ten days um, before, before we had found out we were having our first baby. And the doctors kept saying, I think this is nothing. I think this is nothing. And I was off in Wichita speaking. And the doctor calls and says, I'm shocked, but um, you do have cancer. And... And I knew it was one of those moments of life. You're like, okay, this is this is part of God answering my prayer to know Him more. Hmm. This is going to be a, a journey of experience, but it also opened up so many doors with young people. And, and God gave me a phrase that I just held on to during cancer, and I still hold on to. And it's this: the circumstances in which you find yourself today are perfectly suited to fully glorify God. And hmm. that's true of anybody listening. Yeah. The, the circumstances you find yourself today, they're perfectly suited to fully glorify God. It doesn't mean that we perfectly responded leading up to it, but today's circumstances, God can be fully glorified in them. And so it began this journey, but part of my treatment was this radiation where I had to go into isolation, and I meditated on Psalm 1 during that time, and the Lord just, man, I don't know if I've ever seen just the Word of God open up in one passage like that time um, where I had to be separated from everyone. And this is like pre-COVID mm -hmm. isolations, okay? Um, and uh, I, I, I meditate on Psalm 1, and so the book Prosper is actually a journey through Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. So it's just on two verses, but it's looking at 31 angles of the blessed man in those two verses. Mm. And it's really 
a devotional book. Every chapter ends with seven questions, a journaling page. It's a, uh, it's, I, I encourage people don't do all seven questions. You'll be in there for your two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> Just take one question that you want to pick out of the mix because it really is a very, um, introspective, um, journey, but that's what prosper is about. Okay. And then you have developed a Bible study method and I'm going to say 2010-5-1, and you then you it. explain what that is. 2010-5-1, that's it. It's called Dive In, and again, you can download this for um, on the website too. But it stands for 20 observations, and it's just simple. When you're looking at a text, just take one verse. We'll take the most common verse in, in the Word of God. For God so loved the world. It's not common, by the way. It's just well-known. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You're just making observations, and you can say, there's God is in this verse, um, that there's a gift that God's giving. You're just making simple observations. I could observe right now that, John, you're wearing a, um, a jean-colored shirt. Is it denim? Is that what we call it uh, in English? Sure, um, sure. Yeah. yeah, there's buttons on your I shirt. I would just go with really cool, but really you know, cool whatever shirt. you want to call it. <laughs> I could say you have a wedding band on, you have a watch on. Like The, the point being is just simple observations. Second thing is a 10, interrogation, ask 10 questions. Why are you wearing that color shirt? Why did you choose a button-up shirt? Why are you wearing a watch? Why? All these things are, are, are fair game to ask. Then you take five. Five is um, just to, to meditate now on what you've already taken in. So again, you're just sitting there and meditating on the observations, on the questions you've asked. And then at the end, the one stands for application. And that is, what am I going to walk away with? Because mm. the Word of God is not intended to make you smarter. Absolutely. It's intended to be an intimate journey with God, to mm. know Him more. And so how am I going to walk away from the Word, from the text, and be different? Allow God to change me. And I, and I, and a lot of times when we do this with people, and maybe uh, you remember this, John, even when we when we did one of these with a, a, a decent-sized group, some of the some of the applications were like, intellectual applications yeah and i kind of was like well so so what are you going to do different like, right how is this going to change your life because again we can so easily walk away from god's word and be like oh wow man i love god's word it's just like it's so deep but mm -hmm. no it's so practical mm. it's so life-changing and uh, it's christ in you the hope of glory yeah and you said it's so life-changing in our experience we've always seen that life change prompts more life change amen and Amen. so if you're digging in and you're just gaining wisdom, okay, fine. And do you, can you be closer to God with that? Yes. But as your life changes, your life will impact others. Amen. And life change bring, brings about more life change. Uh, I want to I dig in for a minute with, with the book I'm reading now, What If Jesus Meant What He Said? And I could go on and on. I, I, I just started starring. Like, I, I, I write up my books. Now, I don't— I, I, I've seen your Bible, and books don't look like your Bible. Uh, guys, he has—I've never seen anybody write so small <laughs> and still be able to read it. I mean, it would be dots. It would be yeah. blobs if I tried to write as small as you did, but color-coded and everything else. And, and that was uh, proof that it's not just something you're trying to teach. It's something that you live, and I think that's powerful and important. Um, and so I started underlining— parts of the book and I and so I underline things that I want to try to remember and maybe sometimes I go back and consolidate what sure. I do underline in a smaller document so I can access them quicker and then I thought well we can't talk about all the things I underline so I'll star them the star the ones that I want to talk about and then when those got up to over a dozen I thought oh, we just don't have time <laughs> so I want to dive in and just to a couple of things sounds good uh you said this when it comes to being saved from condemnate condemnation of sin and, but this is really true in any aspect of our life. What matters is not how much faith you possess. It's the object of your faith that counts. Talk about that. Man, I, I see so many people. I was going to say young people, but forget the young people part. Just people who doubt their salvation. And they, um, they, they walk in fear. And I'll give you a perfect example, and I'll keep it succinct. Um, when you think about the Passover night in Exodus chapter 12. I want you to picture two boys, and we'll just say, for example, John and Nathan. And John believes wholeheartedly that what God said is true, mm -hmm. that if there's blood on the doorpost, the angel of death is passing over. So he eats those bitter herbs. He mm -hmm. has that lamb. And you know what? He's happy to go to bed because he knows he's going to be alive in the morning as that eldest child in the house because the angel of death 
You can't touch him. The blood's on the doorpost. Right. But you know, for me, um, I have the blood in the doorpost too. But what if what if we didn't put enough blood? Mm. What if the bitter herbs just you know weren't weren't cooked right? What if uh the you know just what what if what if and and I go to I can't go to bed. I stay up all night. I'm fearful. Mm. Well, I ask the question in the morning, who's alive? And the answer is both boys. Mm-hmm. Why? The blood was on the doorpost, and the word of God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Mm-hmm. And I find so often that we we put um, our we allow shame, condemnation, whatnot to control our life to the degree where we live in fear because we're not focused on what Christ has done, but rather on our own performance. And anytime the the lens of the camera is looking back at us, well, what am I going to see? I'm going to see what the enemy sees. And there's an old hymn, and I mean it's archaic, <laughs> but it goes like this. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all a thousand more. Jehovah knoweth none. Mm. The point is that when the enemy throws that condemnation in our face, I'll say you missed a few. You missed a lot. Yeah. There's more than what you're saying. It's even more shameful than that. It's even more condemning than that. But Christ, mm. the blood that he shed for my sins, and that's where my faith is placed. So again, it's not about how much faith I have. It's, not about, it's about where am I putting my faith. And uh, my faith is placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's it. Mm. Take it one step further. We, we've talked about the application of Scripture. And as we've been going through this series, we've talked about people having their own instruments, their, their calling, yes. their gifting. Uh, looking at someone or considering someone who is trying to pursue God's direction in their life, mm. how does that apply? Man. It's not, it's not how much faith you have as the object of your faith. Yeah. So uh, the, when you think about the object of your faith, well, if your faith is in um, who the Lord Jesus is, then your faith is in, in his title. He's the Word of God. And so here's what I want to challenge you with, is not be careful not to pull the Word of God out of context and, um, and just use it for whatever you want. But when, even in writing, what if Jesus meant what he said? We as followers of Jesus Christ have this beautiful privilege to, I call it, walk on the Word. Mm. Walk on the Word. And so when God's word already says something, we don't need for him to repeat it for it to be true in our life. Mm. In other words, if he's already said, for instance, in my life, go into all the world. Well, you know what I pray for? I don't pray for open doors. I pray for closed doors solely. Mm. Like, and it sounds strange, but there are so many open doors. Sure. If God hasn't closed the door and his word says, hey, I, I love these people. I want them to hear the gospel. Um, if his word says, you know, be holy as I am holy. There's, there's so much to walk on. So I want to encourage you that if God has put in you, just like with Moses, um, it says he put into his heart in Acts chapter 7. He put into his heart what a passion for the Hebrews. Well, to walk towards the Hebrews was a good thing, but then what did he do? He let his focus be on the problem and on the perpetrator, which ultimately led him to um, even more problems in the mm-hmm. end. And so I want to encourage you that when God puts a passion in you, don't allow your passion to drive you to man-made solutions for it. So maybe you're passionate about um, people that are trafficked for labor or sex. I hope you're passionate about that. That's yeah. great. But don't let that passion drive you to earthly solutions where you're just trying to get rid of a bunch of people that mm-hmm. are the problem. Instead, let it drive you to what does the Word of God say? What does compassion look like? What does your your own life being um, laid on the altar. So maybe you're giving of yourself. I'll give you another example. Maybe you're you're praying for God to provide, but really what you're asking Him to do is provide through other people's money when God's actually already given it to you. And you're working that job at Chick Fil A, and you're making you know your twelve dollars an hour, and you're thinking, wow, I I need a couple hundred to really minister to this family. So Lord, please provide it. Well, the reality is He's provided it for you. It's just that you're going to have to cancel your Netflix and Disney buy in. Mm. So the point is that as you're praying about using what God has given you, ask what aspects of God's Word can I safely walk on knowing this is already His will. I don't need writing in the clouds, and I don't need Him to work through someone else. He wants to use you to be the answer to your own prayer. Hmm. And so I think that's a starting point that we can all just be confident in on. And again, if, if you don't know what that is, I just encourage you to dive into the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it won't be long until you see confident ways in which you can walk in his word. Uh, a nice little starting point is give thanks in everything. Try that out. 
Mm. Give thanks for a hundred things today, and believe me, your day, your life will be different by nighttime. Yeah. Even that guy cutting you off in traffic. Oh man, I, <laughs> I, I repentance. Have, <laughs> you talked about a contract. Yeah. In your book, uh, I've always heard it. Um, you you write yes on a piece of paper, and you're there for a job interview. And before the interviewer asks you a job, asks you a question, you go ahead and write the word yes and and lay it on the table. Uh, you talk about a contract, signing your name to a blank contract. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the illustrations used where, you know, we, we agree to so many things in life that we don't read. For instance, you know, maybe it's on iTunes or any, any uh, you know, anything that you buy, basically. You don't realize it, but you're checking one little box to where you agree to the terms and conditions, mm-hmm. and then bam. But how many of us read the terms and conditions? And if we do, we just click on it. We don't actually read it. We just want to have sure. credit for having opened up the box. Um, but when it comes to the Lord Jesus, the thing is that it's about trusting him, trusting his character. And so we don't follow the Lord because of what he asks us to do. We follow him because of who he is, and he's worthy. Mm. And so what I'm talking about when signing a blank contract is we sign our name at the bottom saying, I'm yours, now you fill in the details. Mm. And what, what are you saying? Saying, I trust you. I've had people do it with a check before where they've signed it and said, write in how much you need for this project. Like, uh, you know, and I, Fortunately, they're... They're confident that it's not like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. It's like, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. But they literally give me a blank check. That's showing trust that I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to abuse what they've given me. How is God going to abuse a surrendered life to him? He already gave his only begotten son mm. to pay for your sins and take his wrath so you can eternally be his child and an heir. I, I, sign the blank check. Yeah. S- sign the contract. Because get this. He loves you more than you love yourself. Mm. And so you're, you are in better hands by letting him write your story than trying to add him to your story. Hmm. All right, last, last one from the book. Uh, I, have, I have taught, I've preached, spoken, whatever you want to call it, uh, on both of these. Sure. But I've never seen the connection between the two until I read this. Um, and obviously, as, as I have an opportunity to speak on behalf of our ministry and that sort of thing, um, I talk about us being called to the 1040 window, the people who don't have access right. to the gospel. We talk about the Great Commission, right? And go and make disciples of, of all nations. And, and, the, and the cool part about that is that the word go, and you, you mentioned this in your book, and I've said this many times over, the tense of that word, mm. the way it's translated is, as you are going. And so it doesn't mean go get on a plane. Right. It means when you go to Walmart this afternoon. Amen. That, that, and so and I think when we grasp that, it changes us day to day. But you said, uh, so there's the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people say that um, maybe we refer to it as the Great Suggestion, and it's not. It is a commandment. But earlier in Scripture, earlier, earlier in the Gospels, there's a religious leader that comes and tries to capture Jesus. That's trick right. Him, you know, and, and we've got all these laws and all these rules. And mm. as soon as you agree to one and say it's the most important, then you're going to say, oh, you don't believe the rest of them. That's happened in our culture and every day on the news. Uh, but if you agree with one, you must disagree with all the rest. And so they're trying to capture Jesus and catch him in, 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 a, in a bind. And, and they say, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Amen. mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And then love your neighbor as right. yourself. That's the greatest commandment. You made the statement in, in uh, your book, What If Jesus Meant What He Said? And you said, maybe we have a hard time fulfilling or agreeing to or following the great commission to go and make disciples because we don't live out the great commandment. Right. We don't do everything. We, we don't give everything we have. We don't give everything that we are to him. We don't love God with our heart, mind, right. soul, and strength. Precisely. So talk about that for a second. Yeah, what, what you just said at the end really does encapsulate it. I've asked the question, and I ask the question to myself, um, because if change doesn't start with you, and I just encourage you, man, change doesn't start in the White House. It starts in your house. Mm. doesn't start the Supreme Court. You know, It, it starts in the kitchen. Like The, the point being is that uh, we have to respond to the Word of God. And so anything I'm saying, uh, I just have to reiterate that this is— um, 
this is for my own heart. But when you think about this um, commandment, commission, I, I, I've thought oftentimes, why is it that so many souls are unreached? Why is it that vast areas of our continent lie enshrouded in darkness? And it, it, it just clicked when Matthew 22 was put in that light where you see, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If that's happening, then what's going on? Well, it means that we're going to be living the desires of the Lord Jesus. We're going to be seeking to please him. We're going to be looking for our life to be invested into what matters in his eyes. So with all that being said, um, it, it just made it very clear that the reason we don't go into all the world is because ultimately, as a church, not as individuals, as a church, because we don't love him that much. Mm. And I know it sounds harsh, but that's really the reality, because if this is the heart of Christ, and one more thing I'll add to it, um, in Matthew 24, 14, it, Jesus is asked by his disciples, so when is the end going to come? Mm -hmm. And he says, well, when the gospel of the kingdom's gone into all the world, then the end will come. Well, what does it say in Revelation 22? It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. So, in other words, if we're the bride of Christ, like, we should be eager. I mean, imagine getting married and, and like, your bride's not even excited about it. Like, that's kind of uh, <laughs> a disappointment. Yeah. Well, spiritually speaking, how much more so with the one who died to save our soul? But what is the evidence of a life that is excited about the bridegroom coming? Well, it's going to be a life that goes into all the world. Mm -hmm. Because he says, when the gospel's gone to all the world, then the end will come. Mm. So the very act of seeing the gospel go forward across the street and around the world is a declaration of your life saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. Mm. Directly to that point, you talk about the difference between, and, and I, I think if I'm saying this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. you said if you were an incredible evangelist, yeah. and you, know, you were better than Billy Graham, even Peter on Pentecost, I think you yeah. mentioned, and you led a thousand people to Christ each day. That's right. What's that number that the whole world would be reached? I think it's thirteen thousand years. Thirteen thousand so. years. Yeah. If you're leading a thousand people Every a day to day. Christ, and that's assuming nobody is born and nobody dies. Yeah. And then, yet you simplified it a little bit. Yeah. Tell yeah. us. Tell us that. So the point is that it's not about me. Mm. It's not about John. It's not about you. It's about plugging into what God said, and he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And obviously, you know, you can critique these models and say, well, you know, it doesn't work that way. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not trying to prove a point saying this is the way that it, that it goes. But, you know, if I just start alone, no one else in the world, just one, and I pick one person and make a disciple, and making a disciple, I can't make a convert. If I can make a disciple, a mm. learner of Christ. And let's just say for the case of this example, after one year, they become a true follower of Christ. Well, year two, we both go out and make one more disciple. Mm. So it goes from year one with two people to year two with four people. You know, you get the pattern. Year three, those four people love the Lord, so we go out and make disciples. We've got eight, and it goes from eight to 16 to 32, to 64, to 128, to 256, to 512, to 1024, to 2048, dot, dot, dot. And with current birth rates, at that rate, it would take exactly 33 years for every single soul on earth to have had the investment of being made a disciple. Mm. And interestingly enough, that's exactly the amount of time that Jesus Christ chose to walk on our earth. Mm. 33 years compared to how many years? 13,000. If we try to do it all ourselves. Yeah, and with nobody being born. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Psalm 139, verse 13 says this, He knit us together in our mother's womb. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's, and depending on which translation you have, we are God's handiwork, we are God's craftsmanship. I love these two. We are God's masterpiece. There's only one. Uh, we are God's poetry is another. Um, and I think of my wife just constantly mm. wrestling over just the right word because she's a wordsmith. And that's the picture of 
of God crafting us exactly like he wanted us to be. But we are God's handiwork, craftsmanship, masterpiece, poetry, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Max Lucado kind of wrapped it up by saying this, he made you own purpose for a purpose. And so I say all that to say this, God wants our very best. He's equipped each of us specifically for the task that he's put in front of us. Nate, thank you for your time. Thank you for using your instrument for God's glory and uh, recognizing and pursuing the way that God's crafted you and enabled you to make a difference in the world. Thank you for taking the time today and just for the encouragement you are. Thank you for being a part of this today. As a reminder, guys, we will release these podcasts the first and third Tuesdays of every month. Uh, Speaking of podcasts, Nate just released his new one or started his new podcast. It released yesterday. That's right. Uh, it will, and it will be every Monday or? Yes, every, every Monday morning. Every Monday morning, he'll drop a new episode. It's called Into Your Bible, the podcast. That's right. Into Your Bible. Uh, and you can get it wherever you get your podcast yeah. and even on yeah. YouTube. And I even think. on YouTube yeah. as well. That's okay. right. And so uh, he, will, he has started his uh, on every Monday. And uh, every uh, the first and third Tuesdays of every month after you listen to Nate, you can listen to our new episodes. That's right. Uh, if you're brand new to the podcast, go back and check out episode one so you can learn a little bit more about Impact Sports, what we do, but most importantly, why we do it. In another partnership with Impact Sports and in conjunction with the book, Utterly Amazed, Stories from Outside the Boat, and the study guide that will, will be released this month, uh, we're sending out a weekly email devotional called Thoughts from Outside the Boat. If you'd like to sign up, you can get those weekly. If you go to utterlyamazed.com, you can sign up right there on the homepage. Please share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested, and then subscribe and review uh, those podcasts wherever you get them. To find out more about Impact Sports, you can go to impactsportsonline.org, or you can follow us on social media, Impact Sports INT on Instagram, and Impact Sports International on Facebook. We'll see you next time on I Say All That to Say This.